Morning, good morning. Great to see you all here today. And if you are a guest, special welcome to you. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, make your way to John chapter 11. Uh, I have a celebration I want to share with you guys, and then we'll get a running start before we jump into John chapter 11. Uh, celebrations, just to say thank you to everybody who gave. Um, City Serve is this coming up weekend. City Serve Kids, we're able to go out to our neighborhoods and uh, serve two local schools, care for them. And so thank you for all of you that raised supplies and gave backpacks back there at our missions wall. We had enough raised that we will be able to provide for many, many families that are going to be out here at those events. And so super grateful for that. That's exciting, your generosity to be able to serve uh, these local schools. But second, not just sharing your resources uh, of time, but giving your Saturday up as well. Uh, thank you for, we have more than 100 people from our church set to volunteer this coming up Saturday to serve these schools. And so I just want to celebrate you guys and thank the Lord for his goodness in that. I'm excited about what God is going to go and do in and through us as we get ready for this coming up Saturday and just invite you to pray alongside me this week as we are going to impact uh, hundreds and hundreds of people this coming up weekend uh, just by sharing the gospel and, and loving on people. So thankful for that, grateful for your resources and your time investment to serve our neighborhoods and to the nations. All right, before we dive into John chapter 11 today, uh, we've been in the summer going through the book of Ruth, and then we went through an everyday worship series talking about how God cares about every single day of our lives, that we worship Him in all these different areas of our lives. And so as we jump back into John from Ruth in the worship series, um, I, I thought about this illustration. My buddy was talking to me not too long ago, and he said that he was at the gym, and there was a guy that was at the gym that um, had, had, he'd never seen at the gym before. Apparently, the guy was pretty new and looked like, didn't know quite how all the equipment worked, and, um, and, and so there was a little awkwardness there as he just noticed him walking around in the gym. But the guy got on the treadmill, and he was running on the treadmill, and he had a good little speed going as he was running, and then uh, he dropped his phone, and so he had to get off the treadmill to, to pick up his phone that, had, that was now behind him. And so instead of like slowing the treadmill down or turning it off, uh, he just, you know, got off of it, walked over there and picked it up. And then he got back on the treadmill, but now it's running full speed like when he was running. And he doesn't know how to slow it down. Maybe it's, it's a lack of knowledge. I don't know. Maybe it's pride of like, I'm not slowing this thing down. I'm going to jump back on it. I don't know which it was. My buddy didn't know either, but he said he was just watching the guy. So what he did is he, he got to the side, and he started getting his foot going with the speed of the treadmill, okay? But he didn't like the left foot. It wasn't good enough, so he switched. He's like, okay, right. Right's going to get me going in enough speed to get the treadmill going. So he's going with his right foot, and then he felt like that wasn't good enough either. So my buddy said, literally, he, he picked himself up on the little rails to the side and started running as fast as he could to get to the speed of the treadmill. And surprisingly, when he dropped down, he stumbled a bit, but he caught himself and was able to not fall and, and, and was running in the treadmill. So, so good for that guy, right? Now, I tell you all that because here in the Gospel of John, we've been gone the last, you know, couple of months from the Gospel of John, but the Gospel of John has been running full speed, all right? And so this morning, we're about to hop on the treadmill in the Gospel of John with it already going forward, right? Already going full speed. So to get our legs working, to get our legs running again, I want to remind us what the, the Gospel of John is all about. You saw it on the video right before I came up. The, it's a verse from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. This is the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, the one that we're looking at. The whole purpose, the whole reason, what every story in here is pointing to comes back to this. John 
tells us why he wrote all of these things. John chapter 20, you'll see the verse on the screen, verses 30 and 31. said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciple, which are not written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This whole book was written to highlight these different moments in the life of Christ so that you would believe and that I would believe that he is the Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. And that believing in that we would have life in him, that we would have life in him. That's why the series is called Believe and Live, right? Believe and Live. So that's, that's getting us up to speed, that's catching us back up to where we are in the gospel of John. And we're going to look, starting in verse 17 today, of John chapter 11, we're going to see the comforting conqueror. We're going to see the, the lion and the lamb. We're going to see Jesus come very tender and very personally to bring comfort, but also come as a conqueror to defeat death. So we're going to read a little bit of the passage, pause, unpack it, read a little bit more until we get to about halfway through chapter 11. Starting in verse 17, this is what the word of the Lord says. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to, out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, if you just would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess today. We confess that you are the great comforter, you're the great changer, and we confess that we need you. And you know exactly what we need, and Lord, you know when we need it. And so today I ask that you would encourage our minds with your truth, and that you would comfort our hearts with your steadfast love. Now let me invite you to to pray to the Lord this morning, bringing whatever struggles that you have, whatever anxieties that you have, would you bring it before him now, asking him that he would give you comfort and change in your heart and in your life. Pray to him now. Father God, these words 
are written in the Gospel of John so that we may believe. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, and that believing in him, we would have life in his name. Help us, Holy Spirit, to believe and live today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. This passage um, is one of my favorites, honestly, in all the Bible and, and, and throughout all the Gospels. It's just, it's a rich, encouraging passage to my heart. And, and let me tell you why, at least for me personally, why I love this passage so much. Because you see the God of life, Jesus Christ, come face to face with death in this world. The God of life comes face to face with death in this world and then you see how death has impacted these people in their lives and Jesus, the God of life, is going to interact with people just like you and just like me who have experienced loss and pain, who are in the midst of despair and depression and Jesus is going to speak words of comfort because he is the great comforter. And I want us to look first at this first passage that I read with Martha. Because Jesus in this moment, what he does is he shares comforting truth with disappointed believers. Jesus shares comforting truth with disappointed believers. Now what Jesus is going to do in this moment with Martha is the same thing that he's willing to do with us today. He's going to speak a truth that should bring comfort to our weary hearts and our troubled minds. And he does this in in, in a couple ways. But it starts here with people in the world trying to bring comfort to Martha. You see in verse 19, it says that there were were people there, there was these Jews that had come to console the sisters, Martha and Mary, for their loss of their brother. Now, one of two things they would do there. One is they would come and they would just sit with them. They would come and sit with days and for days, and it had been four days since their brother had been buried. And so they've been sitting there just weeping, just silent in the moment. This is actually a really good ministry that we need to be better at. Sometimes we don't need to speak. Sometimes we just need to sit, right? And in the moment, these people are are sitting there just with the mourning around them of Martha and Mary. Or some of these people could have been people that were hired. Because at that time, what you do is you'd actually hire professional mourners who could come in, who were like the, the A-team criers, who could cry really loud, and people would realize, oh, this is a really sad moment. Maybe some of them were some of those people. We, we don't know, but we do know this, that it didn't bring the, the real comfort that they wanted. There's still mourning, there's still sorrow, there's still disappointment, And then Jesus is going to come on the scene with rich comfort for Martha. Now Martha, when she sees Jesus, she asks Jesus the question that many of us have asked of God. She comes to Jesus and she says the statement, If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. God, if you just would have been here in this moment, this bad thing would not have happened. And what I love about this moment as as Martha comes to Jesus is she's showing her disappointment. Like, Jesus, we we called for you to come here. We wanted you to fix this moment. She's disappointed in this moment. But in the same breath of her disappointment, she shows her persistent faith. You see, she's, she's disappointed because Jesus wasn't there in that moment. 
And yet she shows her faith in a number of responses that she gives. She even says, Jesus, we know that even right now, right now, if you ask God the Father, he'll give you anything that you ask for. See, there's disappointment. Wish you were here, but there's faith. You still can do something. You still can have impact and change even in the midst of this situation. And Jesus looks at her in the midst of her, her pain and her disappointment. And, she sa- and he says, your brother will rise again. Now Martha puts on her, her theological hat in this moment. And she says, well, I know that he's going to rise again on the last day when the resurrection happens. Like, she's still got her faith in the midst of her disappointed moment. She's like, yeah, I know that in the last day that he'll be raised again. I, I believe what you're saying, Jesus. I get it. And then Jesus, in this moment, speaks this, this very personal comfort to her. And it's personal in two ways. It's personal, one, because it hit to the, the heart of the moment of where Martha is. But it's personal because it speaks to the, the personal nature of Jesus. You see, she makes this, this statement, I, I, I know that he'll rise again in the last day. And then Jesus looks at her and gives her this comforting truth. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And this is truth, and this is truth that Martha needed to hear in this moment. But please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Jesus takes this truth, and he makes it extremely personal to Martha's situation. Because he makes it extremely personal to him. He doesn't say, I was a healer, or I could resurrect people. Rather, he says, I am the resurrection. It's personal. Jesus is the resurrection. How is Jesus the resurrection? Well, we've seen earlier in the Gospel of John what Jesus is doing time and time again. He's taking people who are dead in their trespasses, dead in their sin, and he's giving them the hope that they can be forgiven and restored and redeemed. And so Jesus has been doing that time and time and time again, taking people who are spiritually dead and raising them from the dead and giving them eternal life spiritually. But what Jesus is going to do now with this statement of I am the resurrection is he's going to show us in a few more verses, I'm not just the one that gives spiritual resurrection. I'm going to give you a physical resurrection. Your body matters. This world matters. Jesus cares about that. And he's going to show that he has the authority to raise people spiritually by showing he has the authority and power to raise people physically. So Jesus in this moment looks and he's like, I know you know this truth of the resurrection. I know that you've read your Bibles, you understand these things, but you need to understand that this theological truth is found in a person. It's found in Christ. We need to understand this. This is so important. We don't only need biblical answers. We do need biblical answers, but we don't only need biblical answers. We need God's personal touch. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. Jesus is giving Martha this this truth, I'm the resurrection of the life, but he's attaching it to himself. He's making it a personal truth in this moment. You see, so often we hear these ethereal truths out here. It's like, okay, yeah, I know these great and mighty things about God. They're far and away above there. But then we find right here that, no, that, that truth has stooped down low and become personal with us. 
And I love, too, what Jesus does in this moment because Martha's like, I know one day the resurrection is going to happen. And Jesus wants her to understand and wants us to understand that we don't just have comfort that one day things will be good and one day there's a hope of a resurrection. Jesus is like, yes, there is, but you need to realize that there's hope this day. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm standing right here in front of you. It's right here. Now, when Jesus brings this, this truth of I am the resurrection of life, and he makes it personal, it's meant to bring comfort. But I'll be honest, maybe you feel the same way. You read this, and there's some confusion that goes along with this comfort, right? And Jesus just calls it out. I love, I, Jesus is a great comforter. He knows exactly what, what Martha needs in this moment, but he also knows the struggles that we would even have in our time this day. And so Jesus makes this statement, and then he says, hey, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he'll live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. What? What are you, what are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, that's confusing. I mean, do you feel the tension that's going on in this verse is also the tension that's in our lives? I mean, we, we read this, and you have to think, Jesus just said we're never going to die. But then he said we are going to die. Well, wait a second. John, who wrote this, is, is dead. The disciples who followed after Jesus, like, they're in a grave right now. Like, what is going on here? How in the world is it, if you believe in the resurrection and life, that you'll die and you'll live, and then you'll never die? Like, what, what is happening in this moment? Well, I think the confusion that we have, the confusion that we have is because if we looked in, in our dictionary versus God's dictionary, our definitions of death are drastically different. If we came over here and we opened up God's dictionary and we looked at how he describes through his word what death is, it's vastly different than over there. See, if we open up God's dictionary and we start to look through there and we, and we look at death, God would say death is a separation from him that's caused by sin. And the reason why that's, that's death is because God is the God of all things that are good. The God of life. He he created us. He gave us life. He sustains our life. All good things come from him. There it is. And yet our sin separates us from that life. And in that we find death, ultimate death, eternal death. Because of our sins, if we don't trust in Christ, we have an eternity of death before us. And God says that's what death is. Now, if we come over here to our dictionary and we open it up and we start to look at it, our dictionary would say something like, well, death is a flat line of vitals. It looks like this. This is when we know death has happened because it's a flat line of idols. That's it. And I feel like that's too small a view of death. What God is saying through his word in this moment is, no, 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 no. Death is not just a flat line of idols. You can have a flat line of idols and move from life to life. It's only when you're separated from God that you find death. And in this moment, Jesus is like, if you believe in me, though you die, though you have a flat line of vitals, you will live. And if you believe in me, you'll never die because you'll move from life to life. Now, as Jesus gives this comforting truth that he's the resurrection of the life and that we can move from life to life, with, even without confusion, now he's going to look at Martha in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her suffering, and he's going to ask her a really hard question. A really hard question. If you look in verse 26, Jesus looks at her and says, 
do you believe this? Come on, Jesus. You're going to ask me in the midst of my loss, in the midst of my pain, if I, if I understand and I believe in this theological truth that's out there, like, I'm in pain. I'm in suffering. Like, can we just not hit, can we hit the pause button on that question, Jesus? But what Jesus is doing is asking a very important question that many of us have to answer today. You see, what's happened in this moment is Martha did not get what she had hoped for. She had hoped that Jesus was going to come quicker and that he was going to get there earlier and that he was going to fix the problem. But she didn't get what she hoped for. She didn't even get what she asked for. She actually sent somebody to say, Jesus, get here quick. And Jesus didn't get there at her timing. She's sitting there now in a despondent place in her disappointment, not getting what she hoped for or what she asked for or what she longed for. And the question now is, is that going to shake your faith? When you don't get what you hoped for or when you don't get what you longed for, are you going to question God? Are you going to turn away from God? Are you going to look at God in this moment and say, I don't know if I do believe this or not? Being a pastor... For, for years now, I, I've seen people walk through times like this, and it breaks my heart. I've heard people say, well, I prayed this, and God didn't give it to me, so I'm done. I don't believe in this God anymore. I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to submit to him as Lord. And it breaks my heart because the very one who is personal that has come wants to bring comfort, and people are running from him. So Jesus, in this moment, looks at Martha and asks that question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I love her response. She says, yes, Lord. I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Martha saw that, that God is not some heavenly butler that comes out and gives us whatever we ask if we just pray to him. She knows that he's not a genie that we just rub the lamp and he comes out and he does whatever we hope or whatever we ask for. She knows, even in the midst of her despair and her despondency, that God is still the Lord. She responds in verse 27, yes, Lord. She calls him Lord in this moment. She's not like, well, you're weak and you couldn't do anything about this. She's like, no, I I'm depressed, I'm disappointed, I haven't got what I hoped for, but you are still the Lord. And I believe that you are the Christ, the one who has come to give us hope, the one who has come to, to die in our place and to take on our sin and to remove all this brokenness and pain that we see in our lives and in this world. She says, I believe that you're the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now remember, this is what the whole book of John's about, right? This very thing. This woman in the midst of her suffering and her pain believes. She looks and she says, yes, I do believe that you're the Lord, that you're the Christ, the Son of God. This is so important for us to grasp. This is so important. This is central to the passage. We have to see the belief even in the midst of the pain because that belief in God is where we find our comfort and our strength. Amen. Now, Martha is not the only lady in this, in this story, in this passage. She also has a sister, Mary. Now, you have to see the similarities of these women because it's interesting. They, they come from the same family. They have the same situation. And we'll see here when I read in just a second. They even make the same statement to Jesus. And yet, what we find is that Jesus comforts very differently. 
You see, to Martha, Jesus gives a comforting truth, a theological truth, a personal truth. But for Mary, Jesus is going to respond with tears. Pick back up in verse 28. It says, when she had said this, that's Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, saying to him the very same thing that Martha said, listen, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Same statement, same situation, same family. In verse 33, the great comforter Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You see, for Martha, Jesus gave that theological truth, but with Mary, Jesus sheds tears because Jesus will shed tears with discouraged believers. Jesus sheds tears with discouraged believers. Now, I love how it describes Mary in this moment. When Martha comes on the scene and she says, hey, Jesus wants to see you, Mary, come talk to him. It says she arose quickly and she ran out. Now, the reason why that's a big deal is because it doesn't say when Jesus called for her, Mary's like, okay, I've got to get ready. So she changes clothes and she fixes her hair and she makes her, her makeup's all in place and everything's ready to go. She's all cleaned up. And so she goes out to meet Jesus looking perfect. No, it says that she got up and she quickly ran to meet him. So, so quickly that the people that have been sitting there with her morning are like, oh, we know where she's going. She's going to the tomb. Nobody sees her there. It doesn't really matter. So we'll just follow her to the tomb. That's where she's going. Now, the reason why that matters, the reason why I love that so much is because Jesus' comfort and love does not depend on him seeing you or me at our best. It doesn't depend on him seeing you at your best. It doesn't. It's like a father's love for a child. It doesn't depend on the child being perfect. You love the child. And some of you need to realize in the midst of your pain and your suffering and your discouragement, you need to run to Jesus with all of your mess. He knows. He knows. And so come to him. Come to him with your mess. And that's what she does. She comes and she falls at her feet. Her eyes are probably still puffy. Her hair is disheveled. And she's like, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, once again, could have responded in a number of different ways. And in this moment, Jesus weeps. Now, why does Jesus weep here? Why? If you look back earlier in John chapter 11, he actually tells his disciples, hey, we're going to this place. Lazarus is already dead. I'm going to raise him from the dead. Just so you guys know, he tells his disciples. He knows what he's going to do. So if he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, then why in the world is he standing in front of the tomb weeping in this moment? 
And I think it's because he feels the same thing that you feel and I feel when we're in the presence of death. Death is a hateful thing. Death is the enemy. Death isn't the way that it was meant to be. And Jesus in that moment knows, I did not create the world this way. I didn't. It's sin that came into this world and it has affected all of this. It's changed all of these things. So when Jesus comes face to face, the God of life comes face to face with death in this world, he weeps for those who are brokenhearted. Because he knows. He knows our pain. And this verse, though it be the shortest verse in all the Bible in verse 35, I think it's one of the weightiest verses for us as American believers to understand. And the reason why is because this one verse, Jesus wept, sets our God apart from any other God in any other religion. You go and you can look at any other religion in all the world and you will not find a God that looks at you and your pain and your suffering and stoops down to weep with you and to care for you. You won't find it. I'll tell you what you will find. You'll find a transcendent God that is far and away great and holy and maybe you can work your way up the ladder and get to him. Maybe you won't and that's up for you to decide in how you live your life. But that's not what we find in the God of Christianity. What we find is that God looked at us in our pain and in our suffering and in our brokenness and our discouragement and instead of ignoring us, he leaned into it and he came down and he wept with us. This is the beauty of our God. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is completely different than anything else the world has to offer. And I love that Mary and Martha both understand this, that when they're in the midst of their discouragement and their pain and their suffering, there's really only one place to run. There's really only one place where you're going to find comfort and you're going to find the change that you long for, and it's with Christ. So Martha runs to him. Mary, when he says Jesus is calling for her, she gets up quickly and she runs to him. Where do you go when you're disappointed or depressed? Where do you run? What do you run to? They ran to Jesus because they knew that Jesus was the only one that could help, the only one that could fix things. You see, Jesus cares and he speaks truth and he weeps with them, but he also has the power to change the situation. He has the power and might to change this, moving it from death to life. And the reason why I ask, where do you run in the midst of your pain, your disappointment, your depression, is because it matters to a lost world. You see, for us to complain about our circumstances and not run to God is to make a declaration with our life to a world that our God is not relevant. If we're not running to God in the midst of our pain and our suffering because we don't think he'll give us comfort or we don't think he has the power to change things, then what you're telling the rest of the world is, my God is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. To complain about our government, or jobs, or finances, or your marital status, and not acknowledge that God is powerful and he's working in the midst of them, that he hasn't left you or forsaken, forsaken you, is saying to a lost and dying world, a dead world, that our God is not relevant. So church family, please let us, let us look to God. And as we look to God, when they look at us, they will see him in us. We have to look to God. I love how First Peter says it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, cast all of your anxieties on him. Some of them, a little bit of them, the big ones, no, all of them. All of your anxieties on him. Why? 
because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. The God who stoops down and weeps for us is the one that cares about your anxieties. He cares for you. Please see that this morning. Our God is not distant and far away. He's right here in the middle of the situation. And he's weeping and he's moving and he looks and he says, cast all of your anxieties on him for he cares for you. You see, we can cast all of our anxieties on him because his shoulders are broad enough to take every one of our anxieties. Every one of them. And his shoulders are broad enough and strong enough to change and to bring comfort in these situations. Our God is strong and loving. He's the lion and he is the lamb. Cast your cares on him, your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. And so for some of us, some of us, right now you hear that and you know your heart is as cold as stone. Come to Jesus and the great love and compassion of Jesus will thaw your heart. Come to him. He wants to give you comfort. Comfort through a a deep, rich, personal theological truth like he gave Martha. Or just kneeling down and weeping with you because you're in a lost, broken world. You see, the only way we can dissolve that thaw from our heart It's by coming to Jesus and allowing him to do it through the warmth of his love. Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Now in this passage, Jesus doesn't just give us the theological truth for our minds. He doesn't just give us the tears that our hearts need. He also is going to give us the hope that our soul longs for. Pick it back up in verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Jesus loved Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man, could could he have not kept this man from dying? And then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I, I love Martha. You see, she, she's the logical one. She's the one that needed the theological truth earlier. And here, Jesus is like, hey, move the stone away. Her, her logical mind kicks back in. She's more of a thinker than a feeler. And so in this moment, she's like, hey, hey if we move that stone away, it's going to smell terrible. Because like, he was buried four days ago. And Jesus is like, wait a second. You got to trust me. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this on the account of the people standing around. Why? That they may believe that you sent me. When When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who who had dead came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. You see, Jesus in the midst of this moment shows that he has the power to change things. Jesus gives living hope and death to believers. Jesus gives living hope and death to believers. Now in verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved. 
again. <laughs> this is twice. If you look back up in verse 33, it says that as he saw this whole situation, Jesus was deeply moved. So twice it mentions that he's deeply moved. Now this word is the same word that they would use to refer to uh, a, a bull that's angry, a snorting bull. It's the same word. So what it's showing here when it says Jesus is deeply moved, it's not like he's, oh, I'm really sad in this moment. No, he's angry. He's like a snorting bull at this moment. Now, why is he so angry? Why is Jesus angry? He, he wasn't angry at Mary because he's weeping with Mary, right? He, he wasn't angry with Martha because Martha had believed in Jesus, right? He, she confessed him as Lord. So why in the world is Jesus angry? Jesus is angry at death. Jesus is angry at death because death is not a part of life. It is a perversion of life. The atomic bomb of sin exploded in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And the fallout of that atomic bomb of sin is death. And so he's angry. He's angry and he's about to go to war against this great enemy of death. And in this moment, he knows, he knows that he's going to raise Lazarus. But he also knows in this moment that Lazarus one day will go back into the tomb. And the only way for Lazarus to come out of the grave and to stay out of the grave is for Jesus to enter into the grave. It's the only way. And Jesus knows that. So what we're seeing in John chapter 11, this is just a preview, a preview of what Jesus is going to do as he goes to the cross and dies for our sins. And then he goes into the grave and defeats death on our behalf. This is just a preview of the goodness and the grace of Jesus, which is to come. Now, I just love, I love how Jesus raises Lazarus. He just prays a prayer, and he speaks, and he raises the man from the dead. There's no surgery done. There's no medicine applied. Not that surgery or medicine are, are bad, but it's showing the might and the power and the authority of Christ that just through a word he can speak and the dead move from death to life. A spoken word. And he speaks loudly and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he even tells us why he says it so loud and why he says all this. He's like, God, God the Father, I, I'm praying and I know you always hear me when I pray, but now I'm praying out loud so that all these people who don't believe in you can hear. And I'm going to speak to Lazarus, I'm going to speak loudly, not because Lazarus can't hear me, but so that all these people around can hear. Why? So that they may believe. And for many of us in this room or online, you're hearing the voice of God loudly in your heart today. You're hearing him speak, and it's that you would believe. That's why he's speaking. He's speaking that you will believe in him. And as he speaks these words, as he prays a prayer and he speaks, this is a, honestly, this is an odd moment. This is an odd moment. If we, if we went to a graveyard this afternoon and you heard somebody talking to people that are in their graves and telling them what to do. I want you to roll over. I want you to stand up. I want you to do these things. We'd be like, that dude's crazy. That's weird. Unless the dead person actually obeys. And that's what we find in this moment. People standing around and Jesus speaks to a dead man. And I bet you people are like, this guy's off his rocker. He's crazy. Until you see the dead person respond. He gets up out of his tomb, and, and Jesus speaks loudly. He didn't have to speak loudly. He could have whispered, and he would have obeyed. 
because of the power and the might of this lion, our king, Jesus. So he looks and he says, Lazarus, come out. This moment, this passage is so crucial to our heart and our day and our culture. You see, our culture, we are so afraid of death. We are so, that is our greatest fear. It really is. All these other things of brokenness and pain, they are bad, but the finish line of all of that is death itself. And what we find in this passage is that Christ has the authority to fix our greatest fear of death. The death of a loved one or the death of ourself. Now what our, our world loves to do is we love to, to deny death. Let's just not think about it. Like if we just close our ears and we just don't think about it and we live our life like, death may not ever come for me. But denying it's not going to change it. We can even delay it with the health care that we have. And I thank God for the health care that we have, right? But delaying death still doesn't cure death, all right? It's still coming. The only way that we can, can have hope in this dark moment of death is to look to Jesus, the one who conquered death itself, and know he has the power to impact and to change. This is beautiful because what this means is as we go share the gospel, we're not just telling people about a historical moment that happened. Yes, Jesus was a real person. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, Jesus rose from the grave. But we're not sharing a bunch of facts. What we're doing is we're sharing life. You see, the world would say, deny death, delay death, and, and, and just try to enjoy life. But not Christians. We don't say, come and live a little bit longer. Instead, we say, come and live forever. You know, to, to extend life without Christ, to extend our life here on earth without Christ is basically telling an inmate on death row that his incarceration is just going to last longer. We don't need an extension of life. What we need is the God of life to give us new life, abundant life, life that goes on forever and ever. So when we preach the good news, we're not pre preaching come and live longer, but come and live forever an abundant life in Christ. So two points of application as we close. One is this. Believe this truth. Believe this truth and live. That's the point of this all, right? That we believe this truth. Believe that Jesus is the, the, the lamb who weeps with you, who kneels down with you, who helps you who speaks truth to you, but also the lion who can conquer your greatest fears and death itself. Would you believe that? Would you believe that he is the, the Messiah, the one who would die the death that you and I deserved and go to the grave which you and I deserved and not stay there, but to defeat that death and give us hope? Would you believe that? Not just know facts, but know the resurrection and the life in a personal way. And second, if you do believe then would you share this life with others? Would you share this life with others? And I use that word intentionally because that's what we're sharing. We're sharing life in a world that is hungry for life, that is looking for everything else in this world to fill them up and give them life. And we have the very thing that can overflow their cup and give them life for all of eternity. Will we share life with others, the good news of the gospel? Will we be bold to share the good news with our classmates even if we're canceled for it? Will we be bold to, to share with our neighbors even if we're ignored? Church, let us, if we believe and know this life, let us live on mission by sharing this good news that we have a comforter.
who is also our great comforter. May we do that to the glory of his name. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for the resurrection that you offer us. God, you are worthy to be praised on every level for you are the God of life. Father, you have created life and gave it to us. We thank you for that. You're the one that made us and designed us. Thank you, Father. Christ, we praise you and we worship you because you gave your life for us. You laid down your life and you died that we could have eternal life. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, for you are the one that stirs in our heart to give us new life. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you today and ask that you would give us great comfort, that you would give us great strength knowing that you are the one who will conquer all of these broken things in this world and give to us hope both now and for eternity. Christ, you are great and greatly to be praised. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.